two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to this episode of The Flip Side. My name is Jeff Melly. I'm the Global Head of Research at Barclays, and I'm joined today by Brad Rogoff, our Global Head of Credit Research. Thanks for joining me, Brad. And thanks for having me back, Jeff. Today, we're going to revisit a topic that we last discussed in episode 20, how seriously to take signs of strain in the credit markets. So since we last spoke, Brad, there have been a number of developments regarding government support for the credit markets, some positive and some less so. Look, you and I can argue whether they're positive, negative, regardless of any of those developments, the price action has been only one way in credit, and that's higher since we last spoke. We've seen a massive rally in credit. Yeah, and I think that rally is overdone, and it's too early to give the all clear sign. I think there are some big holes in the government support for credit markets, particularly with regards to the high yield market. And I think some of those holes in the support may be intentional, but they are not reflected in the recent price action that you just spoke about. I think we might be in for another reckoning once this euphoria recedes. Look, Jeff, on the whole, I think I'm definitely more positive than you are on the recent developments. It's true, some of the details were less encouraging than we expected, but others, I think I would argue they were more so. And whether justified or not, I think the recent gains in the high yield market, they can become self-reinforcing if companies can have access to financing because rates have lowered as the market rallied. All right, last time we spoke, Brad, we talked about three challenges facing the credit markets. Pressures in the front end of the market, the risk posed by a material rise in downgrades from investment grade into high yield, so-called fallen angels, and the possibility that companies that started this crisis rated in the high yield category will be left out from the various forms of government support. I'd like to go through each of these, and maybe the place to start is with the primary and secondary corporate credit facilities, the so-called PMCCF and SMCCF. These are facilities that were started by the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve to try to support the front end of credit markets. Basically, they're seeded with capital that's provided by Treasury, and the Fed takes that capital and leverages it to purchase short-dated investment-grade bonds, either directly from companies, that's in the primary facility, or in the open market, that's in the secondary facility. They're both intended to try to alleviate the pressures in the front end by absorbing some of that debt, particularly from companies that we all think are viable long-term enterprises, but are faced with short-term financing challenges posed by COVID-19. As we talked about last time, Jeff, the the front end is really the lifeblood for a lot of these large corporates, and and it can be driven by confidence as much as fundamentals, because you need to keep rolling that debt. Well, one detail that I think got a lot of attention from investors about these programs was the inclusion of ETFs in the list of eligible securities that they could purchase particularly high-yield ETFs. The high-yield market seemed to rally substantially on the back of that news, but that seems to me like it's a red herring. So the ETF inclusion is not actually going to lead to a material amount of high-yield purchases in these facilities, as far as I could tell. So the term sheet states that the preponderance of ETFs should be investment grade, if they are even purchased in the first place, and because single-name corporates are actually preferred. Um, Even if the Fed were to ignore all of those stipulations and just bought as many high-yield ETFs as it could, you're only talking about 1% of the high-yield market that's that's held by ETFs. So it really can't be that substantial support for high-yield. 
All right, Jeff, there I tend to agree with you. Inclusion of ETFs, it isn't really likely that the Fed's going to be buying lots of high yield. Right? And even though the market is clearly reading a lot more into this than, than maybe you or I am, I think the inclusion was more about market functioning. And that was because there was a time, you know, if we go back to the middle of March, when ETFs were trading at substantial discounts to NAVs or their intrinsic value. Now, that's no longer the case, but that was really a sign of the market not functioning properly, and the ability to buy them will ensure that that doesn't happen in the near future. But I actually think you're focused on the wrong details about the two credit market facilities. You left out a few things, right? So first, the sizes were increased. They were initially sized at $100 billion each facility, but they've now increased to a total of $750 billion. And based on the amount of short-dated debt that we expect actually needs to be issued, we think these programs are going to make a huge difference at the new size. I also suspect that the capacity could be increased if that became necessary, although, as I just alluded to, I don't think we'll get to that. But probably the more important detail to emerge was actually the inclusion of recent fallen angels to be available to be purchased. So we we're worried that a surge in fallen angels driven by COVID-19 would put serious pressure on the high yield market, which was already quite strained. But companies that are downgraded after March 22nd now qualify for this facility. The Federal Reserve will leverage those holdings to a lesser extent. Makes sense. There's greater risk in them. They're high yield today for a reason. But they're included nonetheless. And that's the important thing. It was a surprise that this came out with the inclusion of fallen angels, because it's not just these fallen angels, it'll be potential future fallen angels that are included. And I think it takes a lot of pressure off the high yield market. Okay, I was surprised by the inclusion of fallen angels too, Brad, but you know, it does appear that, that the government is inclined to make sure that companies that entered this crisis with conservative financial leverage policies are the ones that actually received the support and, and they're less concerned about the immediate effect of COVID-19 on balance sheets in terms of qualifying for, for the programs. But, but I'm actually worried about that these facilities aren't going to get used. So for example, it's come out that the Federal Reserve will require companies to self-certify that they meet a series of criteria in order for their debt to actually qualify for these facilities. These include things like their US domicile, which is relatively easy, Plus, they haven't taken aid from other aspects of the CARES Act. So um, you're only supposed to take aid in, from one program. You're not really supposed to double dip as a company. There's uh, conflicts of interest with official figures, et cetera, that companies have to certify to. Those are imposing constraints on companies. They may not actually take advantage of this if these burdens are too high. Look, there, there's a little bit more here, Jeff, in terms of, yes, you have to go through some hoops to get access to this. But honestly, I, I think these programs can be effective even if they're not used to a great extent. That's particularly true when we're talking about something like the front end. You know, really the goal there is to restore confidence and reduce liquidity risk just to allow capital markets to function. I think the best evidence of this has happened already. You have credit curves that have steepened. So that's another way of basically saying that the front end has rallied and sink or even to a greater extent than the rest of the market as we've seen you know, broad stabilization uh, with respect to credit markets. And actually on Fallen Angels, take Ford as an example, a recent Fallen Angel after March 22nd, and they actually just did the largest new issue ever in the high yield market last week, and the Fed brought none of it. So these programs are working before even buying a single bond. All right, let's shift to the programs that have been less supportive. All right, presumably you're talking about the Main Street new loan facility and the Main Street expanded loan facility there. 
Yeah, I am. And there were two details about these programs that I thought left me wanting in terms of the level of support they would provide the economy and markets. First was the pricing of the loans that these uh, facilities would issue. So last time we spoke about a 2% interest, which is what we had sort of thought that the interest would be associated with these loans. But the actual interest could be materially higher than that. It's actually SOFR, which is an overnight financing rate, plus somewhere between 25 and 4%. That's for the expanded facility. That's what we think the biggest corporates would use. So that's materially above the 2% figure that we had been tossing around earlier. I, I grant you that that's higher. But when you think about the corporates that are going to actually potentially use this, that's still a lot lower financing than they can get anywhere out there in the market. So I don't think that's going to be the point that stops them from accessing these facilities. Okay. But the other constraint, Brad, I think is more severe, and that's the size of the loans that are being uh, offered. So the uh, new loan facility offers loans up to 25 million and the expanded facility up to $150 million. Now these are supposedly intended for companies with between 500 and 10,000 employees and up to two and a half billion dollars of annual revenue. So th these limitations on size could be fine for companies at the lower end of those spectrum, but there's no way they are sufficient for companies at the upper end of that size range. Um, and I think that's where actually the job losses can end up being concentrated if we were to see a wave of bankruptcies. A second constraint is that there are limitations on the leverage that a company can have to qualify for these programs. It's four times for the new loan facility and six times leverage for the expanded loan facility. That's after accounting for things like undrawn revolvers, et cetera. And our best guess is that less than half of the high yield market would end up qualifying for either of these facilities probably even less than the uh, a less lesser percentage of the loan universe actually to me it indicates that this facility is sort of designed to miss so on the surface yeah it does something for high yield quote unquote like helps the market it's included in in these programs but i'm not sure it's actually intended to provide meaningful support to these companies yeah this one i, I think i have to actually be in agreement with you jeff it, you actually left out some other constraints there's one which is that these aren't fully government-backed loans or fully government-guaranteed loans. Actually, 5% of the risk has to be held by banks. I don't think that actually prevents much lending because you know banks banks understand that they need to be lending in, in this time. Um, but the other one, it may have a, a pretty big uh, impact in terms of another constraint. And that's really what caught the attention of, of most credit investors. And that's that the expanded facilities actually secure debt, not unsecured debt, as was advertised in the CARES Act. So the company needs to have the ability to incur the debt based on their existing covenants in, in whatever debt they have outstanding or would need to actually seek an amendment before they could even come and ask for this money. So, so I think you're right. Take up on these facilities is going to leave out a lot of the current high yield universe. Yeah, and that's really underpinning my belief that the massive rally we've seen in credit in general, but particularly some of the biggest returns ever in high yield, the biggest inflows, that that's overdone. All right. I think you have to be careful there, though, not to paint the whole market with one brush. I'm pretty positive, actually, on the investment-grade market right now, since it benefits from the facilities we spoke about earlier. And this should actually benefit high yield indirectly, particularly the higher quality double B companies. So first, with respect to investment grade, if it's bought by the Fed, then those who used to buy investment grade, they should have to start to buy high yield logically. This is the crowding out effect that's been a big part of QE, what we've seen over the last several years. It's benefited the investment grade market actually in the past, 
when the Fed was buying treasuries and mortgages. And I think logic would dictate that now it should help out on the high yield side. And in fact, we've seen for several years in Europe, the ECB and their asset purchase program has included investment grade corporates already. And this has definitely led to traditional investment grade buyers replacing investment grade corporates that they couldn't find because the ECB was buying them. And they've been buying high yield instead, particularly double Bs, uh, and that's caused high yield spreads to tighten in Europe. Second, there's a real benefit from the Fed buying fallen angels, as I've said before. It should significantly limit the pressure on existing double Bs, which is something we had all feared. So to me, that, that's pretty material. But your point about the Main Street facilities does leave me less positive on the lower quality parts of high yield. And I think you really have to draw a line between those two. Let's be clear, though, this is a downturn, and that's pretty typical in a downturn. The most levered companies should be the ones that have the highest default rates, and we're expecting that to be the case in this crisis. So my point really here, the government support is available for less levered companies, really in several forms, right? And we will typically see a default rate, say 10% for the high yield universe in a downturn. I think we're going to see something similar to that in this downturn, but not dramatically more. And that it would be dramatically more if we didn't have the government coming in with these programs. You know, I think it's interesting, Brad, that the Fed is being quite clear about where the lines are in terms of receiving official support. There seems to be a lot of skepticism about supporting companies that entered this crisis with too much leverage. And it's actually, it's kind of in keeping with other actions that the Fed has taken. So I'm thinking back five years ago to the leverage lending guidelines, where the Federal Reserve designed these guidelines to stop banks from lending to companies that were over six times leveraged. Now, it turned out the Fed was um, not exactly following the right protocols when they issued those guidelines, so they were forced to make them somewhat less stringent. But I think that they were a harbinger of this underlying suspicion of companies that use financial engineering to juice their returns. And I think that may have found its way into some of the programs that we're talking about today. Look, that six times level felt a little too familiar to someone who spent a lot of time thinking about the leverage lending guidelines and, and how the Fed's been thinking about that historically when I saw it in the term sheet. It's also not lost on me, the leverage loan and CLO markets, they've really received the most criticism by far throughout this cycle from aggressive lending practices during the recovery, and they're receiving little to no support here, honestly. That leaves private equity-backed companies in a difficult place as they disproportionately went to the bank loan market, and not to the high-yield bond market, actually, to finance acquisitions over the last decade. These companies do employ a lot of people, though, so it's not without consequences that they're being left out. You know, you do have to draw a line in the sand someplace. And as we talked about earlier, you know, the Fed is using somewhat less leveraged when they lend to high yield companies, but they're still using leverage. And if you lend with leverage to companies that are already sort of close to the line in terms of how much leverage they're employing, you can actually create big losses. And obviously, the Federal Reserve has to, you know, avoid to the greatest extent possible actually taking losses on, on their portfolio. You know, I think there's also probably some you know, underlying concern that they want to influence the way companies think about their leverage policies going forward. So if they started off even before this COVID crisis, suspicious of leverage levels that were, say, over six times or, or generically too highly levered, uh, that, then these new programs could be a way of trying to get companies to think twice before they get to those levered, leverage levels in the first place. They might be thinking that if there was another crisis, official support won't be there for them anymore. 
Look, it's it's really hard to argue with the math that you sort of went through there. But but one thing to remember here is, is they would be coming in by they, I mean the Federal Reserve, as secure debt in the Main Street program, uh, the expanded program at least, which does provide downside protection for the Federal Reserve. Also, essentially what it's doing by adding more debt to a company, when you think about their total enterprise value, it is taking value away from the equity and perhaps that's owned by private equity. So look, I don't think there's a clear solution here, but maybe they're supposed to have a separate program for highly levered companies that also provides the Fed with some upside in the form of maybe an equity stake that they're actually taking as well, which is similar to what we've seen in some of the troubled industries that got direct access to the CARES Act. Right, and I guess if we see some of those programs, that'll be fodder for another episode of The Flip Side. Thanks for joining us. Clients can access our latest research about the effects of COVID-19 on the markets and economies at hashtag virus, available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com slash IB.